to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Now, we've been studying this topic called Now Faith Is. Is that a good topic to study? Well, I guess it is because we're meant to be people of faith, aren't we? So to figure out what faith is, that's quite a good thing to do. And uh, Murray, he, he decided we'd have a series of messages on this, and we've had quite a lot of messages on faith and what it is. So can we have the, the next slide, please? Now, this is from the New International Version. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Let's have that in the next slide, please. It says, na kote whakapono he whakapono. Fakapu motanga inga mea e tu manakohia atuana he fakakitenga inga mea kahore nei kitia. Now, somewhere in there, can we have the next slide? If you look at that second bit, he fakakitenga inga mea kahore nei kitia, there's a sense of seeing something you can't see. You got that? You probably didn't get that, eh? Oh, hey, look, just one thing I meant to mention is Daniel still here? Oh, he's, he's taken off. Ah, okay. All right. This, you kids will get this, all right? You'll, you'll understand all this today, so stay tuned. Now, in there, there's a sense of seeing what, can't, what you can't see. So if, if I said to Teresa, Teresa, you can't see Jesus coming again, she could say, yes, I can. See, she could see something she can't see. When, she can see through faith because faith is seeing what you can't see. And when Martin Luther King stood up and he said, I have a dream, what he meant was I can see something that I can't see. See, because with the eyes of faith, we can look ahead and we can see things which normally we couldn't see. And that's a big part of faith. We've looked at, can we have the next slide? We've looked at Bible heroes who, who showed great faith. Who's that? It's not Moses. Look how old his parents. It's Abraham. See how his parents are really old? How old were they when they had their baby? They, yeah, he was 100 and she was in her 90s. You know, so what happened is huge faith. And then we also looked at uh, another hero as well. That's, that's Horton. And you remember what he did? He, was, he taught us about faithfulness by just sitting on the egg. Now, the, this Maisie, the, flit, the ditzy bird, said, will you sit on my egg? I'm going on vacation. Yes, he said, never knowing that he's going to have to sit there right through the winter and everything else. And here's the chorus of Horton. I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful 100%. Now, nobody knew this except McColl last time. But I went back to my granddaughter, who's five, and I said, do you know about Horton? Yes. And she rattled this off. So that's faithfulness that we learned from an elephant who sat on an egg. How about that? Last week, Murray told us that faithfulness builds faith. Now, try and picture that. So faithfulness is this kind of we, we keep on plodding on, we keep going when it's hard, we keep on, we keep on. And as we do that, we start to capture the vision, don't we? We start to see things we haven't seen because our faithfulness and keeping on going through the hard times actually begins to open our eyes. God rewards us by saying, come on, there's something good ahead, come on. And it begins to build in us. And in just the same way, faith builds faithfulness as well. So if we've got the vision if we say, one day I think this place could be better, I think this town could do better, that encourages us to keep going. In fact, if we don't have any vision at all, it's hard to be faithful, isn't it? We, we kind of need the two together. So Murray told us these, well, one of those things, and I'm telling the other, but we can't say that in Greek. Does anybody know why? Because in Greek, 
there's only one word, and it means faith and it means faithfulness. You know, if I tried to explain to some Greeks, hey, faithfulness and faith are very close to each other, they go, what are you talking about? I might as well say happiness is happiness, or I might as well say sorrow is nearly the same as sorrow because it's the same old thing. So when you read the Bible, faith is faithfulness and faithfulness is faith. In English, there's different words for it. In Māori, there's different words for it. But in Greek, it's the same thing. Carry on going. Hang in there because that's how you show your faith. Now, in Māori, we could say, so. oh, sorry. In English, we could say that, that uh, faith is faithfulness and faithfulness is faith. And in, in Māori, we can talk about te whakaponamete tūturatanga as the same thing, you see, in Greek. Uh, tūturatanga translates authenticity. So actually, faith is being real, okay? We could say, this is a faithful picture of my car. Well, it means it's real. It really is like that. So in faith, there's a measure of authenticity. So if we insert those into the verses that we've got, we go, nā, ko te whakapono me te tūturatanga, he whakapūmautanga i ngā mea i tūmanakohia atu ana, he whakakitanga i ngā mea kaore nei i kitea. Have you got that in English, just in case... Anybody speaks English? Yep. Now, faith. Now, we could say this. This is not a mistranslation. You won't find it in your Bible. Now, faith and faithfulness are confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So when you read about faith, you could always put faithfulness in it if you're reading the New Testament. Today, we're having a bit of a look at something. We're looking at, I've called this faith as a baying, all right? The less fuss, the better. Did Horton make a big fuss when he had to sit on the egg? He didn't, know. He just sat on it. And when the winter came, did he make a fuss? No, he shivered, but he says, I said what I meant, and I meant what I said. No, I said it wrong. I won't rhyme. But so today we're looking at three Bible heroes, and we're going to look at one Bible hero who made a huge fuss. He was not as easygoing as Horton the elephant. We're going to have another look at another Bible hero who made a medium-level fuss. But he kind of didn't, he wasn't quite as bad as the first one. And then we're going to have a look at another Bible hero who just got onto it. Guess which one I like the best? <laughs> well, no, that's unfair, isn't it? So, the one that made a fuss. Well, I'll tell you what, making a fuss makes a great story, okay? The third story isn't so interesting, to be honest, because the fuss is the story, isn't it? This guy's called what? Jonah. What did Jonah say when God told him to go to Nineveh? There was a trick question, because the Bible doesn't say that he said anything at all. God said, go to Nineveh and talk to them, because, and tell them that I'm going to judge that city if they don't change from their sins. And Jonah didn't even, according to the Bible, he didn't say, nah, he just got on his feet. He walked down to the dock. He found a ship that's going the other way, like big time the other way. God says, go to Iran. He says, no, I'll go to Spain. I don't know if you've looked at the map, that's... Like a big, big time different other way. So, so Jonah, his, his answer to God's command is to absolutely do the opposite. Now, it says this in the Bible. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Jonah, however, got up to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Duh, like you can never get away from the presence of the Lord. Good try, Jonah. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship bound for Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went aboard to sail for Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. What happened? Do you know what happened? No idea. What happened? Got eaten by a giant whale. He did. And what happened after that? 
He went to Nineveh. <laughs> well, that's, that's true, isn't it? You missed out a few bits, eh? Like, why, why did they, why, how come this big fish ate him? Do you remember that bit? Don't know why? Did you have a look at the picture there? Does that give you a clue? It's on the, isn't it on the front? Yeah, it's up there, see? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll flick the lights off so you can see it better. Does that show a bit better? You see, before this happened, Jonah caused a lot of trouble for a lot of people. He's on the ship, and there's this huge storm, and everyone's terrified. They throw away all the cargo of the ship, and that's a lot. All the value was gone, right? Hugely expensive. Hmm? Who does? Luca knows what's happened. I just called you, Luca, didn't I? Sorry, Ephra. That's probably what threw you. A storm hit, and they had to throw Jonah overboard. And why did they throw him overboard? Because Jonah knew why the storm hit. He did. He fessed up. He said, this storm is because of me. And the only way you'll stop it is to chuck me overboard. They were quite nice, weren't they? They didn't want to do it, but they had to. And in the end, as soon as they chucked him over, the storm stopped. And legend tells us, in fact, oh, Jack, legend tells us that everybody in that ship actually turned to follow the true God, which was pretty exciting. So what a lot of fuss. What a lot of fuss. Jonah was so disobedient, but God is gracious. That means God, he'll, he'll kind of overlook our sins. And uh, why did God pick Jonah? I mean, what an awkward fella. What a nong. Why didn't he pick somebody who was a bit better behaved? Do you know why? I don't know why. I don't even need to know why. Neither do you. Because the thing is, when we say, so why did God do this? Why did God do that? That's, this is the created being, me, saying to God, why are you? I'm, I think I'll question your answers. Well, God says, no, it's more like he's the potter. I'm the pot. And the pot doesn't say, why did you make me like this? All right? The pot just bees himself, you know? So it's not our job to ask God always why he does things. And it's not clear to me why he chose Jonah. But I don't know. But why did he pick us? Are we like Jonah? Are you like Jonah? Yeah. So like God's, God said, I think I want you to do this. And, and you go, run away. Do you ever do that? So the question is, why did he pick us then, isn't it? Just as much as why did he pick Jonah? And the answer is, well, I'm, I'm not really sure. But as somebody, I think McCall said, because we're, it's in the plan. Like we laugh at Jonah. You know, how dumb to think he would run away from God. And then we laugh at ourselves, don't we? We sit down, have a cup of tea and say, can I ever tell you about the time I tried to run away from God? Because we're just as stupid as him, weren't we? Really? Yeah? Yeah, a few nods going, mm. I'm nodding small here, Jeremy, so no one sees because I think I'm the only one in the room. All right. Let's have a look at another Bible hero. This guy here is who? Moses. What did Moses say when God told him he had to go and see the king, Pharaoh, and tell him to let the people of Israel go? What did Moses say? Did he say the same as Jonah? Because Jonah said nothing. He just ran away. Did Moses do that? Well, he didn't do that, did he? So he's a bit better off than Jonah. Do you know what Moses said? Heaps. He's the absolute opposite to Jonah, right? Jonah says, and, and Moses actually has a lot to say. So you listen to how much Moses has to say. God says this, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen how severely the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now listen to what Moses says. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? 
I will surely be with you, God said, and this will be the sign to you that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, all of you will worship God on this mountain. Then Moses asked God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? And, and later Moses said, what if they do not believe me or listen to my voice? For they might say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past. I've never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech and tongue. You sure had a lot to say to God, Moses. Seemed to be a pretty good talker to me. All right, this is what God says back to him. Who gave man his mouth? Or who makes the mute or the deaf, the sighted or the blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you as you speak, and I will teach you what to say. That's a pretty good promise, isn't it? Can, can God do that? Who, has anybody here know Ian Grant? You do? All right. How do you know? What, what's, what, does anybody know a bit about the guy? What, why do we know? Why do you know of him? He's an evangelist. He's an evangelist. And, and he had his own TV show, didn't he? What else? Brian? What's that? Valley Road Baptist Church. I have no idea. There's one person in this room who always knows every church that everyone went to. It's you, so I wouldn't know. But he was the head of Youth for Christ New Zealand. What else? He had a stutter. He had a... Ah, aha. I don't think he was dyslexic, but he had a terrible stutter. He had his own television show. He rode on an aeroplane one time, and when and he talked to the lady next door to him on the plane, and as, she, as he got off, she said to him, tell your brother I really like his television show. She said that because she could not believe that this st 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 stamp st stammering man she'd been t t talking to on the plane was the same guy who confidently got up and spoke to thousands and was on television. She could not believe it was the same man. Now, Ian actually explained it like this. I knew him. Uh, he, he said, whenever I'm speaking in public, I have to rely on God because I'm only one syllable away from disaster. Now, because I know Ian Grant, I know that God could have made Moses speak. He could have done it. But Moses replied, please, Lord, send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and he's now on his way to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. I will help both of you to speak, and I will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will be your spokesman, and it would be as if you were God to him. Now, have you ever pictured Moses standing up and boldly saying to Pharaoh, let my people go? Have you ever had that picture in your mind? It never happened. First of all, it wasn't just Moses. It was Moses and Aaron. And it would have been this sort of thing. You've seen stuff like this happen when somebody's standing next to him. Tell him this. Tell him this. Tell him this. Because somebody's too fucking my. You, you've seen that, haven't you? Right? And that's what it was like. Moses says, tell Pharaoh this. Tell Pharaoh this. And so the whole thing was done secondhand. Aaron always went with him, and Aaron was the, the, the mouthpiece. As time went on, it seems that Moses gained confidence. And uh, as, you, as you read the story of Moses, he did gain confidence. He wasn't always confident. He didn't always obey. In fact, Moses, sadly, after all being a great leader and doing wonderful things, he wasn't even allowed to go into the promised land because of, of disobedience. Uh, so... With Moses, he, did, he made excuses. He did everything he could 
to get out of what God had clearly told him to do. But he did it. God is gracious. Now Moses is listed as one of the greatest Bible heroes ever. So there's hope for us. Why did God pick Moses? Why? Couldn't he have picked someone else? Actually, Moses was ideally qualified to be here, wasn't he? Here's why. Moses was a Hebrew, and he knew he was a Hebrew. He wasn't an Egyptian, and he knew it. He knew his whakapapa, he knew his whanau, he knew where he came from. On the other hand, he'd grown up in Pharaoh's palace. He was adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter as her own. So he understood the Egyptian language and culture and the way the king worked and everything else, right? There would be no one in the whole kingdom could have been as well qualified as him. So he was. He had unique abilities. He'd, he'd seen miracles happen, the burning bush, you see. He knew God was real and he knew God was powerful. He was a prince of Egypt with a heart of God. That is a remarkable thing, isn't it? So if we ask the question, why did God pick Moses? We can begin to see that there was a plan in it. A plan that began when Moses was a tiny baby. He floated in a basket. The, the Pharaoh's daughter took him home. He was raised in the palace. He had a fight with someone. He ran away. How long was he away for? <laughs> 40 years in the wilderness just minding the sheep while God worked in his head and heart. This whole thing happened because to, to build somebody who is absolutely unique, somebody who knew the Hebrew culture, knew the Egyptian culture, knew God. And so here he was. Now, why did God pick you? Why did God pick you? You see, you're unique in character. That means that the things that have gone into you are different to anyone else. You've got talents and abilities and insights and education in the broader sense that no one else has got. You've been places where the rest of even us haven't been, which means you're unique in yourself. But not only that, each person in this room has their own particular contacts, all right? I can go places you cannot go. There are doors open to me. You can go places I cannot go. And even if we take the word cannot out, even if we say I go places you don't go and you go places I don't go, that means God puts his people in all these places all around the place. I mean, who is in Mangukaha, it's Emmanuel, all right? Emmanuel Hoita, who sometimes comes here. God has put him in that gang. He's the pastor of the Black Power Gang. There's also, if they're in trouble, if they're distressed, they turn to him to get some wisdom from God. I've had the privilege of sitting in his house and giving a Bible study, but I couldn't have done that, all right? But Emmanuel is right in the heart of a gang which he actually can't leave. But what he can do is bring God's wisdom into the heart of that gang. Now, some people are in schools. Some are in clubs. Some are in jobs. I mean, if you're a Christian in the motor trade, there's all sorts of people there that, that need your help. Uh, wherever God's placed you, no one else could quite do that. Are you like Now, are you like Moses? Are you like Moses? Yeah, so do you... Do you um, when God tells you to do something... Do you sometimes think of all sorts of reasons why you shouldn't? Do you ever ask him to pick someone else? All right. Then it's worth reminding ourselves that in spite of all that, Moses turned out to be a great hero. And 
we laugh about that too. Once we've finally done what God told us to do, we sit around, we talk to our friends, and we say, why did it take me so long? Why did I do that? Why did it take me so long? I should have just done what God said the first time. Oh, have you ever said that? Have you heard people say it? Yes, 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 yes. All right, our third Bible hero today is Isaiah. Now, I told you before that when Jonah made a great big fuss, it made a good story, didn't it? Like there was a storm, there was a fish, and a whole lot of stuff happened to Jonah. This story is not nearly so interesting because Isaiah simply did what he was told. It saved the whole book of the, a whole book of the Bible it took to tell about Jonah. So listen to this. What did Isaiah say when God told him to go naked and barefoot for three years? What did what did Isaiah say when God told him to go naked and barefoot for three years? Once again, that's a trick question because the Bible doesn't say that he said anything at all. He didn't seem to enter into any kind of discussions. Listen to this. This is called a sign against Egypt and Cush. Before the year that the chief commander sent by Sargon, king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and attacked and captured it, the Lord had already spoken through Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying this, Go, remove the sackcloth from your waist and the sandals from your feet. And Isaiah did so, walking around naked and barefoot. Then the Lord said, Just as my servant Isaiah has gone naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and omen against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will lead away the captives of Egypt and the exiles of Cush, young and old alike, naked and barefoot, with bared buttocks to Egypt's shame. So what did Isaiah say? He didn't say anything. He just did it. All right? Now, each of the people I've picked today as my Bible heroes were asked to do something very, what I think was very hard. Jonah, go right into the heart of enemy territory and talk to people who you have every reason to hate to try and save their lives. Very hard, Jonah. Very hard. Moses, after 40 years in the desert talking to sheep, go right into the king's court and risk your life by telling him to let millions of slaves go. Very hard, Moses. Very hard. Isaiah, for three years, you have to go naked and barefoot in the city. And people will laugh at you. That's very hard, isn't it? There was a reason. That was part of a prophecy. And what he's saying is, look, this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to be. When the armies of those days, the Egyptians and some of the others, would take slaves, they would have to leave everything behind. Sometimes they'd shave their hair off, they'd take them naked in chains, and what they're saying is, all your life is gone, now you totally belong to us. Now, I actually did something I don't do very often. I looked in some commentaries for this. I said, what do other people say about this? So I, I looked in some Bible commentaries, and I was very interested in, in what people said, commentators. Some commentators said, well, Isaiah would have never actually done that because it was just sort of too naughty to walk around naked for three years. All right? Some people said that. And some people said, well, he wouldn't have done it because it was unnecessary. See, he doesn't have to do it for three years to get his message across. He could do it, but just for a short time, because it doesn't take you three years to get a message over, does it? So he wouldn't have done it for three years. Other commentators said that. And other commentators said this. They said uh, it, would, it would be too cold. He couldn't do it because it would be too cold in Jerusalem if he doesn't have any clothes on, all right? But Isaiah didn't say this will be too embarrassing or it's too naughty. And he didn't say, I don't need to do it for three years 
because I'm sure just three weeks will do. And he didn't say it gets too cold. The Bible says nothing about any of that. He just did it. And so did Noah and his family. You see, God says, build a boat. It's going to take years. I know when you know we're near the sea, but trust me on this. Not only Noah, but his sons too. You see them working in the picture there? The sons. So somebody said, hey, Al, why don't you come out with us? Because we're building a boat. Why? Because my dad says. Would you, would you spend years and years doing something just because God told your dad? I don't know. But they just got on with it. They didn't argue. But God, it never rains. How can I get all the animals in? Blah, blah, blah. No. Esther, Queen Esther. Uh, the wonderful queen who, who knew that she was the person with the only chance of saving her, the entire Jewish race. She also knew it was against the law to go and see the king if you weren't invited. And she hesitated only for three days. Do you remember what those three days were for? For prayer. She said, pray for three days. And after three days, I'll go and see the king. And if I die, I die. That's a brave thing for a young woman. She was the queen. Her life of luxury and privilege was assured. And she was risking it all to save her relations, the people, the Jewish people. And Ruth, Naomi said to her, Ruth, you go back to your own family, your own culture. She says, no, I'm sticking with you. No hesitation. Do you remember her words? Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Do not ever ask me to go or desert your side and leave you. For may God do to me so much and more, if anything but death separates you from me. Now, those are strong words, right? No hesitation. No, oh, I wish I'd stayed with my dad. And Jeremiah. Jeremiah just did it. And Hosea. Mark told us about Hosea. God says to him, go and marry a prostitute. All right, says Hosea. I will. And he did. That's a big sacrifice. A Jewish man would want to marry a lovely girl who was virtuous and would stay faithful. But Hosea was commanded to marry someone who would not be faithful. And he did. Joshua was told, march round and round a city and then blow some trumpets. You feel pretty stupid, eh? Seven days. Imagine everyone in the city. No, oh, you're out again. You've been doing this four days. Gosh, what do you think? It's, you think our city's going to fall down because you're just walking around it? Gosh, well, these nutty, all right? No. Nope. No, says Joshua, don't talk. Don't talk back to them. Just keep walking. And Caleb, Caleb says, sure the people in this land are giants. Let's go get them. And Stephen, Stephen was going to be stoned to death. And he says, God, don't hold this sin against them. Doesn't falter for a minute. And William Booth, what did he do? The Salvation Army, he started it up and he says, I'm just not going to settle for an England where drink is killing people, where people are just living like animals. We're going to restore some dignity and worth and we're going to bring the gospel to the people who, who seem to have heard it the least. So there he went to work with the poorest of the poor. Who's this next guy? You don't know, do you? Have you ever heard this poem? Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Have you heard that? 
That was written by C.T. Studd, as was this. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. C.T. Studd, rich and privileged, became a representative English cricketer. He was the best, one of the best cricketers in the world. He was a famous sports star, but he chucked all that away to go to China and take the gospel to the people who hadn't heard it, and then later the Congo. He died of gallstones because they couldn't be treated because he was in the Congo. He gave his, literally gave his life. C.T. Studd. Now, here's this next woman. Gladys Aylwood, the small woman. She was turned down by every missionary organization there was because she wasn't educated enough to be a missionary. All right, she said. She paid her fare, got on a ship, and went to China and changed the world. Saved the life of hundreds of children. Inspired the whole world. She was known as the small woman. See, she didn't hesitate. Who's next? Mother Teresa, she left everything she knew, went to the other side of the world. She's one of the most famous people in the world. When she died, I believe, she owned two saris and a plastic bowl because everything else, she didn't need it because she was focused on serving the Lord Jesus amongst the poorest of the poor. And who's this next guy? Murray would know. <laughs> David Pierce. Oh, I don't know, Sister Teresa. I don't know who that guy. David Pierce, rock priest. Ring a bell? He felt that God was calling him to make a punk rock band and go through all the, the, the most, uh, th or through the punk rock venues of Europe. And the things that this guy did, he ended up going to Mongolia and Russia and all sorts and starting up churches. These kids who'd never heard the gospel, he'd do it all through punk rock. He performed in satanic venues and he picked up mics with spit dripping off them and, you know, straight after bands that just had lyrics full of hate and murder and he lifted up God. He's had a whole life. <laughs> they call him Rock Priest. And who's the next guy? No, John Kirkby. John Kirkby started CAP because he thought he should. So he did. That's how it's meant to be, isn't it? I think I should do this. So I will. And who's the next person we think of? Jesus actually said this. He said, my food. Do you know, that? Do you know what it was? My food is. Yes, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He was hungry for it. Yeah, my solid food. So Jonah, when he heard what God wanted him to do, he ran away. Moses made excuses, but God, but Jesus actually hungered for it. Oh, I'm hungry. I want to do God's will today. And the only time he ever faltered, as far as I can see, was in the garden where just for a moment he said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Now what Jesus is saying is, God, if there's any other way to save the world than me being hung up and tortured, that'd be great. But the main thing is to do what you want. He didn't even question it. Jesus is our example, you see. He, never, he didn't argue. Now are you, are you like uh, Isaiah? When God tells you to do something, you just do it? Are you like that? What would it be like if we were? What, would, what if God told us to do something and we just did it, just like that? What about that? No fuss, no arguments. Should we give it a shot? Who's in? I will if you will. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you give us examples of heroes in the Bible and in the modern world too, who, when you told them to do something, they just did it. And we know that might mean we miss out on some good stories like Jonah's, 
but the best story of all will be people who obey you and make a difference in the world. So God, I pray that the people here who are willing, you will lead them in that way, that we will have the courage when you tell us to do something, we'll just do it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in this gathering, there's a young Isaiah, I mean, not in, in this congregation, and after I talked about the two houses a couple of weeks ago, this young person went to see the elders of the church with a question and said, you know how Jeremy said that I have to do everything that God, that Jesus says? Was he right? And the elder said, yes, he was right. You do, actually. And she said, all right. So she went home and she did it. Now, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but you will see, as that young person uh, carries on through life, you'll see an anointing of God coming on that person. She wasn't sure. Is Jeremy right, she said. But when somebody else said, yep, Jeremy's right, you have to do what Jesus says, she just decided to do it. Now, this is a courageous young person, and I'm really very fond of this person, but wait and see what happens. Now, to finish with, I'll get, I want to do a word of warning. I've been quite upbeat in my talk today, and I've said how Jonah got forgiven by God and brought back and so on. But I do want to tell you this too. With Jonah, God was gracious. With Moses, God was gracious. But history teaches us about many people who disobeyed God and they never recovered. See, the children of Israel disobeyed and they complained so much that God made them wander round and round in the desert until nearly all of them died. And most of them never entered the promised land. It was their children who went in after they died. King Saul followed his own way one time too many. His family was set to inherit the kingdom and be the kings of Israel, but they lost it. He died a horrible death and his family was removed from being the royal family because he followed his own way and didn't do what God said. And in my life too, sometimes I see things that I can never recover from. Now, I'll give you an example here. I'm going to make up somebody's name. A local woman uh, in Waikoko there years ago where I lived nearly 30 years ago. One day I was talking to this local woman. Now she was a pretty hard living woman. She drank a lot. She was a pretty hard, hard lady. She had the flu. And straight away that day I just knew in my heart if I prayed for her, right then and there, she would be healed of the flu. I just knew. But you know what? I chickened out. Now, years and years have gone by. I've never forgotten that. It's like an outstanding thing in my life. And I said to God, can I have another shot? Could there be another opportunity? I'm waiting. I'll obey this time. And every few years I run into that woman. But I know that I've never had another chance. I've wondered whether to apologize to her and say, Jill, there was a time many years ago when I let you down. But I've never even really had the chance to do that. I didn't know her well. But in my life, there's a regret that I'll probably carry forever because there was a time God said, Jeremy, do this, and I didn't. So although I'm excited about Jonah and what happened and Moses, I want to warn us that sometimes by not obeying God straight away, you will lose a chance that will not come back. I urge you, as much as you can, when God tells you to do something, just do a bit. Just please do it. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free.